This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 229 with guest Janine Yoder. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am so glad and grateful and happy that you are here. And of course, I have another amazing guest to introduce you to today. I'm going to tell you about her in just a minute. But before I do that, I wanted to make sure that if you are at all interested in any of my retreats for 2019. So 2018, I have two retreats coming up in August and September. Those are both sold out. But But if you want to be on the wait list for that, so that's if anybody sadly won't be able to come to the retreat that they signed up for and you want to be notified of that, or if you want to be notified right away for my 2019 retreats, then head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash retreat and sign up for that. does not obligate you to come in any way. It just means you're going to be notified first. If I have an opening in the August or September retreat this year and the ones coming up in 2019. So I will be doing another Daring Way retreat in 2019. And the Daring Way is the work that I'm certified in with Brene Brown's research. And also, I'm probably going to do a terrible job of explaining what this retreat is this other retreat that I'm going to do. (laughs) All right. So it's going to be kind of a sister circle, you know, women in circle coming together, witnessing each other. There will be fire involved that is going to be safe, I promise. But what I mean by that is like, you know, burning our fears and having rituals and ceremonies. And if you're into any of that, Again, I think I'm doing a terrible job of explaining it. It's amazing in my head (laughs) what the theme of it is going to be is claiming your power and learning to feel safe and be powerful at the same time. That's what I feel is missing in so many of us, that we feel broken and that we need fixing. And if you have spent any time in these parts of town and in the self-help world, I hope that you're absorbing the lesson that there is nothing wrong with you, that everything that you need, the quote-unquote solution is inside of you. We have just learned to disconnect ourselves from our bodies, from our true intuition, from the power that is within us as women. And as I step further and further into that in my own journey, that is, gosh, how long have I been on my own journey? 12, 13 years? And I've been teaching this for about a decade. I am inviting women in for this retreat that doesn't have a name yet, but certainly needs one and will have one in due time. Anyway, I know that's super vague, but (laughs) considering how fast the two retreats sold out that are going to happen this year, I highly encourage you to head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash retreat just to be the first to be notified of that. All right? All right. So our guest today is Janine Yoder, and I know her through the quote-unquote coaching circles. And when I was talking to her about being on the show and I was like, I don't, you know, my audience, I don't think is your 
people because basically she, well, I'll read you her bio so you'll see what she does. But then she told me her story and I was like, I have to have you on because it's such an incredible story of resilience. And I wanted you to hear the story and hear the tools that she has used over her life to overcome a really, really difficult childhood. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Janine Yoder is a New York Times featured business and feminine leadership coach for coaches, a Broadway starlet, and founder of Mentor Masterclass. Janine leads women around the world to become time, location, financially free, and mastery trained life coaches. Her students have become sought after thought leaders in Mentor Masterclass, an all-in personalized life coach training program to help women learn from the best and launch their businesses with the support of celebrity mentors and a soul-powered Sisterhood. She believes you are destined to be of service through your unique gifts, and self discovery is the key. I know you will enjoy her just as much as I did. So, without further ado, here is Janine. Well, hello, Janine. Thank you for being here. Hi, Andrea. I am so Hi. excited to talk to you because you and I have mostly talked, talk. you know, talk shop mm-hmm. <laughs> and talk mm-hmm. business. And I am so looking forward to this conversation because what you and I have in common is a backstory. I mean, you know, obviously everybody has their story, but have kind of risen up from the ashes, if you will. And that's really where I would love to start. And I know that my audience loves hearing, you know, who doesn't love a good redemption story, but stories (laughs) of, of people who have, who have come up from, uh, hard upbringings and have made something, of themselves and have really changed their life, taken the action and done the work and changed their life. And mm-hmm. so again, it's your, your story is, is really compelling. And I know you've talked about it on your blog about your, your childhood and, and you had uh, some rough, some rough childhood years. What did you learn the most from the experiences? So, so tell us your, your story. Mm-hmm. First, I just love that you're asking me to tell this story and starting with childhood because a lot of my work has been undoing, attaching myself or defining myself from that story. Mm-hmm. And so it's really cool actually to tell it, you know, for many years, what I had to do was tell that story over and over and over to heal from it. And at this point, I feel like I've, I have created a new story from which I'm telling and healing off of, mm-hmm. but it's cool to, to go back and tell this one because I have a lot, a a lot of non-attachment to at this point and feel really healed. So I do think that's relevant to share, especially in the, um, the concept of those of us who are, are drawn to talk about our stories that there, I think there is a point, at least from childhood, that if you're on a path to healing and you're really doing the work in your life, like can become something that's like, wow, I have no no trigger or not, not a lot left in that area that is still motivating, defining, or, you know, working its mm-hmm. <laughs> darkness in me, which, which relates. So, so basically for, for those of you who don't know the story that I have told in the past, you know, I had just addiction runs in my family really heavily. Uh, my mom and dad were, you know, major drug addicts. My dad to the point of like being a huge drug dealer in California when we were growing up. And so just as a child, I was surrounded by not only the chaos and dysfunction and, you know, emotional trauma of two parents that were in a relationship and both heavily addicted to drugs. But because my dad was a dealer, we had drug, drug addicts in and out of our 
our house all the time. And, um, and also just my, it ran in the family. So it wasn't just my parents. It was just like all the role models and caretakers around me outside of my two grandmothers who had, had no addiction, which is really interesting. And were both of my parents' parents were really powerful women and men and successful, but all of their children really struggled with addiction. So I just kind of grew and then they were seeking recovery growing up. So the main part of my story, I think, is that I I grew up with people hitting rock bottom, but seeking support Mm -hmm. and trying to better their lives, but with like so much challenge to to do so just intrinsically and extrinsically, there was so much happening and growing up in recovery. I think I just grew this passion for, for witnessing what can happen when you come together in community with, with other people. Mm -hmm. And when you have like tools and resources to work with, and really I started to to ask my question, this question of myself in the world at a very young age, you know, what is the difference between people who are victim to their circumstances and their, their own personality or challenges versus those who can take self-responsibility and become a productive member of society one, and then even greater, like do amazing things for themselves and for the world. And I really started to ask that question of the world and then of myself, like, could I be different than everybody that I see around me and what would it take? And so originally that kind of just led to defying the normal odds of like career choices. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't want to settle for a job that I hate just to be successful. That was kind of the first theme that ran really true for me as I reached my teenage years and having watched, um, just the questions and recovery that happened behind the scenes, going to meetings and things with my dad. And then, you know, particularly I have a lot of mother wounds that, that initiated where just my mom was just, just never really recovered to this, to this day. So my dad did, you know, did get clean and raised us. And my mom to this day has been in and out of her addiction and her mental illness and and challenges. And so I became even more interested in not just people, but women, Mm -hmm. like what makes a woman a, a victim of her circumstances versus a woman who can really become a leader and uh, happy and fulfilled. Okay. I'm going to stop you for a second because I already have questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's so interesting to me is, is I think that, yes, I love what you were saying about your curiosity around the difference of people really being a victim of their circumstances, which it would have been, everyone would have been like, no wonder Janine turned out to be an addict herself or mm-hmm. getting into trouble or whatever. But you, that you were curious about what is the difference between people that go down that path and the people that 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 don't. And so my question is like, where did you, I'm assuming that did not happen when you were like a teenager, like it was later. So like, where, where did you kind of like, was there a mentor in your life? Was it did therapy or was it just like this divine download that like what happened to spark that curiosity in you? So, you know what, Andrea, truly it did happen young. And when I think back to this question, like I just have these, like a few things that, that come to mind that might explain it. Like I do have to say it doesn't make sense. There wasn't like any savior or mentor or 
like I, I kind of felt like it was a little bit in me. And I say that too, cause I look at my sister a lot. We have the same upbringing and we chose very different paths, mm-hmm. but we had the same resources available to us. And it was just, I remember one moment we were, we, I was home with my dad alone. We had just got back from a drug deal. Mm-hmm. So he had, he had taken me on a drug deal with him. It was pretty scary. Like I think that my dad was selling like numbed down product essentially. And they figured this out and we like had to leave the scene really quickly. And I heard a voice in my head that was like, you need to like get behind the couch. Like it's just a very directive voice. And this was at about eight years old. And we had a drive by shooting like soon after that. So like, that's the first time I can remember hearing that voice. And I have, I have this inner voice that is very, very supportive and empowering. Like that is the voice that comes through in challenge. It's almost like on the surface, I'm feeling like I can't figure things out. And this voice kind of guides me. So I don't know if it's like an old soul. I don't know if it's like angels. I don't know if it's just DNA Mm -hmm. and the way that my brain functions, you know, this way, but that kind of voice many different times in my life. And, um, I can remember when I was 15, you know, I sat down with my dad and I was like, let's make a calendar. Cause he had relapsed. And I remember sitting down with him and being like, let's make a calendar that like would have you wean off of, uh, you know, like Coke down to weed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I was very like, strategy driven with no training in this whatsoever, just kind of like an instinct that we needed to like create some accountability. And like my dad and I, just my, I had a very open relationship. I knew things that kids shouldn't. And Mm -hmm. I don't know why that didn't mess me up. Instead, it made me feel very confident and very interested. You know, I thought I would be a therapist, but I didn't want to deal with darkness. And to have these conversations. I wanted everything but that. So I chose like dancing and singing and musical theater <laughs> instead. Same. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, you know, yes. Like as so I, I felt like I had this drive in me and this, this passion and this voice that supported me in, in making the right moves and in choosing the empowering choices. And I, I did choose that, you know, I didn't go to the parties in high school. I didn't, um, you know, do drugs because I just didn't want to. And, you know, maybe, so maybe this is what I would say about that as far as like mentorship or what helped me, like the honesty, I think because my dad didn't guard me, like, because I knew that he was a drug addict Mm -hmm. because both my parents were pretty open. It wasn't secretive. And they, they thought of me as smart enough to know the truth. I, I think there was something about that because had they chosen to pretend or lie to me, or if I didn't really understand what was causing all of this darkness and, and drama and chaos in our mm-hmm. life, I, I might not have understood what was causing it. Right. And then been able to say, well, I'm not going to choose that. So potentially the honesty and the openness, which is something that I carry with me to this day, I'm pretty open about my own shit with even strangers and people, because I just, I, I think it's, it's better to be honest than to hide it. And it's when you hide it that it, that it even has more power over you. Does that make sense? That kind totally. of answer? Yeah. I, and I've met a couple people like you that just from a very early age had, I don't know if it's an old soul or what, but that just 
went the other direction and and even you know listened to their intuition at a at a much earlier age than than a lot of people do. And so okay, so my next question is you said that your your dad got clean and I I think I read somewhere that you had you used to go to NA meetings with him. So mm-hmm. and I mean talk about telling the truth. Like that's where people go. I've been to a mm-hmm. lot of AA meetings, you know, in the basements of churches. This is where people mm-hmm. bring all their shit and and mm-hmm. tell the truth. So did you take away anything from that even, you know, going to those meetings with him? Yeah, I think that the main thing that I saw the difference in is these are these are people physically, and if you hear about it, most people would judge them as like horrible, fucked up people mm-hmm. that you want to like not be around. And I think what I learned was that these people are incredibly creative, yeah. spiritually connected, sensitive, beautiful, morally, like some of the best people I'd actually ever met. But if you looked at them with their tattoos or their, their skin that had been, you know, ruined from doing meth for so many years, you know, like you would, you would look at them and think that they're scary, wrong, or bad mm-hmm. uh, if you were to judge. And I think what I saw was that there's actually even in some of the darkest corners of humanity and people who have made really bad choices that have hurt other people, I could see the gifts that they have to bring to the world, that their messy is really guiding them to learn something very powerful about themselves in the world. And that those people who choose to heal and get stronger from that and make themselves and their self-care a priority, they became really incredibly, they call it in meetings, like become a productive member of society. So that's Mm -hmm. like the thing. Uh, So I saw, I learned that with simple resources, the, the devotion and commitment to heal yourself and an empowerment from a community, a place from which you can really be yourself and find a different way of living life in, in the way that you don't have a habit of doing, you can become a healer, you can become a sponsor and guide. You can become, um, an incredible father. You know, my father was an incredible father despite his faults and you can live a good life. You can turn from the shittiest rock bottom life down to like loving your life with your whole being and heart, um, and still be healing. So Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot. I learned a lot from that. I love that. And what's really interesting is, you know, I feel like everybody is their own, has their own mess. And I, I, when you saying that, I was thinking like, gosh, I wonder if the addicts in those NA meetings are just, just like us. It's just, they wear their mess on the outside as well as the inside (laughs) and everybody else is just doing a better job of hiding it. That's really kind of what I think. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Short. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, the people that are most put together, um, that never break open and either, I just think they don't like fully allow themselves to feel life and, and maybe they have success, but I don't know if they're really feeling and living and experiencing it. And oftentimes, yeah, the darkest people look the best mm-hmm. <laughs> on the outside. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, okay. So you started to talk about that you, um, you basically became like a Broadway star, right? And like, so tell us yeah. about that. And does that, cause it was, it was like a, a dream of yours. So my grandmother, I think just realized I needed something, you know, in my life. So at like eight years old, she put me in the local community theater and I just fell in love. And I think for, for me, theater was a place to create characters. Like that's really what I loved about it was to see 
I feel like I saw so much of humanity again through my upbringing and then to, to get to create these characters and live their story for an audience to like inspire an audience. I just loved it. And of course, musical theater is fun and it's light and it's dance and it's, you know, just like heart, which was a great alternate to what was Mm -hmm. mostly happening, you know, in like real life. So that's how it began with my grandma. I grew up doing it. And then I just, I knew that I wanted to become a Broadway star. It felt like a challenging career, which I think turned me on a bit. And, um, it felt like fun and lightness and, and I had a natural ability, you know, I have, I was a good singer and a dancer and an actor. And so, yeah, I pursued that, took it to New York when I graduated high school, applied to the American Musical Dramatic Academy and studied there for two years, got my first Broadway show um, after that. What show was it? The first show is actually called, um, it's Broadway Backwards and that's what it's called, Broadway Backwards. And you actually take a bunch of different musicals and you like twist them around and it's a collection of like a-list celebrities will come and do it. Broadway stars will come and do it. And I had my first role on Broadway, um, playing, playing a part in that, which was, which was really cool. So what, so you don't do that anymore. obviously. So why did you, why did you leave? All right. So it was, it was the lifestyle. So I loved the career, but I started to recognize that the, the lifestyle of an artist, there were some misses there in that, um, one, there's a big story in the artist community, which you have a background in, so you're probably f- familiar with, of like uh, a starving artist, mm-hmm. which wasn't mm-hmm. resonating with me. Also, there's very little control, which I've learned that I am a, maybe a controlling person or like to have a lot more control in you my life. Both, sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in that, you know, your your fate was up to the audition panel. Mm. Um, it was always at the hands of of the casting director. And no matter what, no matter how much you worked on your skill set to be an amazing artist, no matter how smart of a businesswoman you were in the career, there was still a level of uncertainty that, that I think in order to be happy as an artist, you need to be able to make peace with, which I never could. And, um, when I thought forward to one day becoming a mom, I knew that this was going to suck because I watched other older women, you know, struggle with having to take tours and be on a bus for, you know, six months at a time. Mm. Um, I saw what a strain that put on relationships and, you know, eight shows a week sucks. Like you could take this thing that you love and it turns into something that sucks because eight shows a week for six months is draining physically, emotionally. It just gets boring too. <laughs> Isn't that every day? It's like every single day and then twice on Sunday or something. Yes. Wow. Yeah. You get like Mondays off. So you're working, you know, all the weekends and all the holidays and mm-hmm. And most of the time, as an artist, you're lucky to have a Broadway job where you get A shows a week. The other thing is you're usually waiting tables in between. So one day you're a Broadway star and feeling on top of the world. So great and cool. And the next day you're like having to take a show maybe you don't really want just because it's a gig and touring on a bus and sleeping on a bus. And then other times you're just out of work for a while and you're auditioning. 
And when I fell in love with my husband, that's when it really hit, you know, he would be taking vacations and he would travel for work and I wanted so badly to go with him. And it would be like, I was, you know, on call or I had like had an audition and was waiting to hear if I got the part and might have to go back for a second audition. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, no, I can't go with you to freaking, you know, like the Virgin Islands, which oh, sounds up the winter. And instead I'm going to sit here and wait for this call, which most of the time you don't, you know, I didn't get it. So I missed out. And I was like, this sucks. Like I want to be able to have the life experience that I want. And, and just about at the same time, I was also recognizing that what I loved about theater really was creating characters and, and inspiring the audience to what's possible in life and the lightness and things. And this is when life coaching started to pop Mm -hmm. up everywhere. I started to realize that, um, oh, there's this profession called life coaching. And then that was when the shift began. It was that desire to travel, that desire to one day have more say over my schedule. And then also I wanted to, I, I had in my mind six figures. Like that is something I used to say to myself, like if I could just make six figures, you know, my relationship to that has shifted a bit, but at the time it was like success to me meant making six figures. And I started to really start to think about what kind of career could I make really great money in feel like I'm being of service and love just as much as I love in those moments that I do get to perform on stage, um, and have time and location freedom. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then you get to six figures and everything's the same. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> I oh, didn't no. believe that at the time. I thought six figures would solve all my problems. Yes. Yeah, no, yes. I, yes. I've been there. Okay. So uh, again, like with so many different directions we, we could go in, but one of the things that jumped out at me when you were telling your story is you mentioned the mother wound and I, I have yet to have a client who, well, now I take that back. I've had, I've had a handful of clients who don't come with, with old parent wounds, but Mm -hmm. I'm always curious because I know it looks different for everyone. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's, there can be a misconception in personal development or just in life in general that we, once we get to a certain age, then we will let go of the pains that we have from our parents. And I, I also think that, you know, I was just talking to somebody else this morning and we were talking about, um, they were asking me a question about parenting and like, how do you do this with, with your kids? And it was kind of like a, in a roundabout way of asking me, like, how do we prevent hurting our children <laughs> emotionally? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I answered, I'm like, I think that Impossible. inevitably <laughs> our, our kids are going to end up in therapy talking about us. Like no matter yes. how great we are and, and how open we are, I just, I think that, you know, just stuff happens. So my question is, how did mm-hmm. you heal from your parent wounds? You know, more specifically, it sounds like it was, it was rough with your mom. Like how did you, or how do you continue to heal the mother wound? Mm-hmm. First, I have to say to, I, work with women and I've worked, you know, just in the past couple of years, let's say pretty intimately with women. This is is how I work. So over the past two years, you know, I've worked with about a hundred women really intimately. And I, I can tell you that not one of those women doesn't mention her mother in our journey of Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-discovery. So 
So I totally know that about my daughter. I tell my husband all the time, I'm like, I think I'm a great mom. (laughs) I She might have a different perspective. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to be the thing that she blames for something (laughs) for sure, because there's there's no way that we don't. Okay. So healing. And how did you heal yours? Because I just think that it looks different for everyone. And, and I, I just, I want to make it clear that I don't think that there is one way that that we do it. I think that we need to try different things. And so that's why I'm curious, like what, what your tools are and strategies. Yeah. I also believe that. And because, you know, because some women's mother wounds come, mother wounds come because their mother was great and their childhood was great. Yeah. There's just so many different colors and layers. So, so for me, um, I think the one commonality I have seen when there's a broken relationship with your mother or particularly, um, my experience, which some women will relate to in their mother wound and others will have the opposite is not feeling like my mother was the mother I wanted her to be, or not really being a mother at all. And particularly not teaching nurturing, like not, not having the unconditional love of a mother. And that can show up when you don't know your mother, if you were adopted, if you did have your mother and she was not available. And so for me over the years, what I've learned is, um, yeah, I don't think we could ever hit an age and just heal from our parents stuff with our parents. That's the one thing I think if you, I think everybody probably has something there and there's great benefit in exploring it. And if you give yourself space for self-discovery and you um, have the intention of working with healing, if you have an inkling, that's the only way it clears up. I don't think it's like we just hit an age and like, you know, mm-hmm. then we don't care anymore and we're healed. Like yeah. in fact, I think if you ignore it, uh, it can really work your life mm-hmm. in a way. It like, just bleeds forever. out, I think, into your career, into your relationships, oh, into your female yeah. friendships, everywhere. Yes. And so that was the thing. So for me, um, the tools that really helped were well, coaching helped in just asking questions and, you know, asking myself questions and the process of self-discovery, which you go through with a self-help book and you, you deepen into if you hire a coach. So my, um, you know, draw, draw to that, to self-help just really started to open up awareness about my personality and who I am and those things that served me and weren't serving me and where they might've came from. And particularly with my mother, what it really boiled down to was, um, you know, I had a moment at my wedding that really stood out as the turning point and we, we were waiting on her. It was time to walk down the aisle. I had done a a lot of work to like get her there through her, to get her to be able to be at the wedding, you know, bought a um, hotel for her nearby and, um, we'd paid for her, took her shopping. So she would have something normal to wear and, and then they were like, your mom's not here yet. And it was a choice. Do we go, do you, do we go on without her? Or do we wait? And it was that moment of, I was just, because I had let everything go that day, all expectations, mm-hmm. I'd already known that, you know, on your wedding day, things are going to go wrong. And I was committed to just being in joy and pleasure. And so I was like, let's do it. But, you know, we're not waiting on her. I'm ready yeah. and had a beautiful ceremony and that she didn't make it. And, but she, she was waiting at the reception and, you know, 
full of drama and story. And, and it was like, I felt this sense of calm and release in my head. I said, she is never, I think a lot of women hold on, like maybe one day when she gets, when this happens on my wedding day, when my child is born, like right before she dies, she'll say the thing that I want her to say, or she'll show up in the way that I, that I hope that she could. And in that moment, I really just released all expectation and kind of said, she will never, and that's okay. And I don't need it. And that was a huge release that day in that moment. And so I walked her and I said, mom, it's okay. I'm so happy you're here. Enjoy the reception. And like, that wasn't the thing that like that drama was not going to I just released from it. And I think that's kind of the tool from there. It's turned into, I had to learn self-nurturing and self-care. I had to be to, and I, now that I have a daughter, I see how, if you don't have a nurturing mother, you don't learn these things. Mm -hmm. Like if in a, if in a moment of need, you, someone's not there, then you'll become strong and figure it out for yourself. If your mother is there, you, through that relationship, learn what nurturing can look like and what caring for yourself can look like from your mother before you know it for yourself. So essentially as an adult, I had to like reparent myself to learn self-nurturing. Um, inner child work has been amazing because I, I talked to my inner little girl and I know now that as a woman, either I have what I need to nurture her or I can find it in other sources. So I can find it in the hands of a massage of my facialist and just feel her hands of, as the hands of mother, as she touches my face, I can have sisters in my life. Sisterhood is huge and cultivate that and know that there might be a couple of women in my life that I, that I ask, I have my, my friend, Jenny, you know, I tell her like, you're my mom sometimes. Like you're the woman that I call that I need. I need someone to call where most women might have their mom to get that unconditional love. I have to like be kind of honest and forward with my friend and say, I'm definitely leaning on you for some mother energy, which is beyond mm -hmm. normal, like woman relating. Are you cool with that? And she's like, yeah. Oh, I already know that. And I can hold space and be your mom today. Um, and you know, I can find it in mother earth. So basically that's the basis, like learning self-nurturing is how I began to heal that. And then really strong boundaries. Um, you know, for my mom, particularly, there's a lot of like a guilt and shame in that relationship where she would ask for money or if something really horrible or hard happens to her because of her life choices, feeling like I have to be her mother. And so another really strong tool was family constellation therapy mm -hmm. and, and readjusting and knowing that no daughter should ever mother her parents ever. And when you're doing that, when, which a lot of us do in our generation, especially if you're like a coach, you know, you, you like, I want to heal my parents. Like I'm going to tell my parents what to do. And I like just started using this technique of men when my mom would call, it's totally not my personality at this point. I would shift and say, I would like make myself say like, hi, mommy, become the daughter role. And like, make myself talk, even though she wouldn't listen or ask about what's wrong with me or what I need instead of just listening and like shifting my role to being daughter mm -hmm. and not being the parents of my parents. Um, and, and the final thing, which is really profound, it truly changed my life as I was working with a shaman in Peru. And he said to me, Janine, who do you think you are? God? 
Like, who do you think you are to say that your mom has chosen a bad life, that, that she's wrong or bad or not smart or that, um, that she's suffering? Like, what if her soul knows exactly what it's doing and has chosen this life with, with great genius? And so then just trusting like that shift for me is like, my mom has chosen this. She's got this. And I can set up boundaries and not be wrapped into it. I'm not going to send her money. I'm not going to freak out every time something bad happens. Instead, I'm going to be like, great, she's a strong, powerful woman, and she is choosing this path, and I'm going to let her do that without it affecting me. Wow. Seems like you've um, got it down to a science. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's working for sure, which is great because like that living life – before those tools and some of those practices, I mean, it just, it, it ruled my life. I'm sure Uh, it wasn't like, it was a long process of you. Yes, definitely. Learning all of that and trial and error. And I, I, I love every single one of those. I think I want to touch and underscore on when you were talking about, I think it was the first one you mentioned about just really accepting the fact that it, like the, the moment at your wedding, Mm-hmm. and that this is who she is. And I think that for a lot of people, for a while, it's it's less painful for them to hold on to hope. Even the feeling of like, no, they're holding out on me. They're mm-hmm. going to change. I know it. If I just love them more, if mm-hmm. I keep giving them money, if I mm-hmm. keep coming into their drama or letting letting them, t- you know, take me down with them. And, and oh gosh, that's, that is so incredibly painful to just really accept like, no, they're not going to be the mom or dad that I actually deserve or that, that I never got. And Mm. I just, that is, that is tough. That is, I think some of the hardest work you'll ever do is, is accepting that because it's not fucking fair. It's not fair. Mm -mm. At the end of the day, it's still not fair. Like you deserve something better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, though, honestly, I do think that that's why I hung on, on so long. And those, those examples that you shared are so true. You know, it'd be like these, just like, I would get a hundred text messages in one day from my mom. And because she's bipolar, it would be like, you know, whatever crazy should happen to her, she needs money for this reason. And then if I'm not responding, it turns into, you know, bashing me and putting me down. And, um, and anger, you know, directed at me. And I would think it's my job to listen. Like I would read, I would, this is so stupid looking back, but this is what you think. Like I need to be there for her and be strong. So I'll, I'll read these messages because I feel guilty if I don't, you know, and I'll answer the phone and I'll listen. And, you know, finally, when I started to open up and so this is, this is the other thing. Um, for me, one of the greatest things in healing my story is telling my story. And so many of us do not because we have this fear, suffering obligation of love in our family, that we're not allowed to talk about these things in public. We're not allowed to tell other people how we're being treated or what's going on, especially, you know, let's say it's not my story. It is my dad and my mother's struggle with mental illness or addiction, right? For me, I don't know that I couldn't have healed if I didn't start talking about these things somewhat publicly, but most importantly, intimately with other people in my life, which meant, you know, showing my girlfriend the actual things that my mom says and having 
another woman say, Janine, this is not right. That is not true about you. You don't have to put up with this and listen to this. This is disturbing. This is very wrong. Like those kinds of things. And I actually wrote a one woman show that was all about this story because I felt like I need to get out of this and into the next stage of my life. Mm -hmm. And that's not attached to any of that's not about my parents. Like my life is about my soul path and me and what I'm creating. And I could feel that the thing that was holding me back was still so much of never, you know, I want, when we don't talk about these things, we do want to talk about them. And I was sick. Then I was starting to get sick of talking about it. So if you open up and start talking about it and you tell your story, you get sick of it enough that you're like, I'm done. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't need to talk about that thing anymore. And, um, that's what I did on the stage. I told a lot of the things about my father because I only ever talk about him positively. I talked about a lot of the truth and I let that out. And I started talking more publicly about my mother's challenges and asking for support and resources. And that was a huge release and a huge, um, like not being in that silence anymore and just taking it and kind of disassociating from it and finding myself. So I think there's a lot of people that don't even talk about these, they're, they're either the wounds of their childhood or um, the dysfunction in relationships that continues. And like you said, um, it is that release of like being real and saying, this is the way it really is and being okay with it it did feel better than holding on to the hope for me. Um, in fact, that's when my relationship with my mom got better. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like holding on to the hope and pretending and not wanting to face what it was perpetuated it. And it was after that, that I have had some great moments of my mother with my mother, where I felt like she was my mother in, in some very fleeting moments, which those moments would not have come had I not totally given up hope and then accepted who she was and how it really was. Yeah. Wow. It just, it sounds like it's been a lifelong process for you. And I just, I, what I, what also sort of came up to is I think it's one, you know, cause I have, I had a really, really difficult divorce and just, I mean, just mess, mm-hmm. mess, mess. And what happened with me is that I was telling the story and telling the story, but I was telling it from that victim place. And it was very mm-hmm. much, I was looking for sympathy. I wanted people on my side. I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, people to get their fiery torches with me. And mm-hmm. then I got tired of that. I got t- tired mm-hmm. of telling that story because it felt like shit and it felt heavy and mm-hmm. no, I was done. And then when the healing happened, now I tell that story from a place of empowerment. Like this is my mm-hmm. testimony. It sounds like that's definitely where you are and you have been for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Does it still have moments where it stings a little bit? Are they fleeting or not at all? No, you know, I don't have stings from childhood or my parents, but I, I think like there's new lensing, right? Like now that I am a mother, Mm. the, uh, the themes come in a different way, right? Like one of my biggest fears as a mother which is that like I would die and that now that the way that I love Violet, I, I just know there's no other human on this planet that, that could give her this, 
the kind of love that comes from me. And then this is like, might sound, I sometimes I think this is egotistical to say, but tell me if you ever think this, like, I think if I was to die, I like, I'm so scared of dying that she wouldn't get to feel that love and that nurturing energy and that she might have to go through the same thing that I went through, but not because I wasn't able to give it to her, but like I died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, but you see, it's the same wound. So it's not anything about my mom, like that, that piece feels really good and healed in me. But the, that little soul theme, that little wound is like working its way in a different way. So, so I have to play with the, the lesson I've got so far with that. And my daughter's only two. So I'm, you know, I'm still young in motherhood is that don't be the mother that you needed, be the mother that your daughter needs. And so you know, I'm not going to, I'm kind of not choosing not to pass on those wounds to her, which takes a lot of walking my talk and self-responsibility so that I can clear up my own issues and wounds and ideally pass as little of those on as possible to her and her soul path and her experience. Oh, that's so nice. Like, let's just, <laughs> let's just wrap it up with that. Cause I, I love that. And I am just so grateful for this conversation and and for you and thank you for sharing your wisdom. I know I know there's a, a lot of people listening who have the mother wound or the father wound or even from past relationships from partners that we had and and even our female friendships can really can hurt us and there's grief there and letting go and I I know that all the the tools that you that you shared will be helpful for people. So all of the links are in the show notes, everybody. Uh, Janine's website, just a couple of websites over there and go and check her out. Follow her on social media. And thank you so much for being here, Janine. I've so enjoyed, I've, I've just loved getting to know you better on, <laughs> on this level. <laughs> I know. I want to know all your stories now too. <laughs> there are so many. Oh, everybody. Thank you again. I always want to just really take a moment to appreciate you spending your time with me every week. I know that you're time is precious. And I am so incredibly grateful that you spend it with me and my guests. So thank you for that. And until next week, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.